6. We'll begin reading in just a moment in verse 20. In these difficult days, what a wonderful hymn for the people of God to sing. Probably many of you, if you're old-time church members, know something of the life of Fanny Crosby. She was a blind African-American woman. She knew the difficulties of racism of her day. And yet what could she confess? I and my Savior am happy and blessed. That in Christ, in Christ, she knew that which satisfied her soul. Now, we always want equality and justice. Those are very good things, and we should all, always seek those things in the church and uh, in, in the culture. But even a society that perfects justice and perfects righteousness, and of course, in this life we really won't, that in itself will never satisfy. It is only the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. He is the ultimate foretaste of that kingdom of perfect righteousness. Do we want to see His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I will assure you, in a fallen world, there will always be challenges. I thought in my planning for preaching kind of came to a, a place of an interesting providence of God in that we completed our family series last Sunday. And I knew that very quickly I would be returning to this exposition of Luke. I toyed with the idea of speaking in terms, sometimes people call them God and country type sermons and, and so forth, different, different types of names. But when I sat down and began to, play, to read from the place that we had gotten to in our study of Luke from last fall, I thought it was a perfect word for the place we find ourselves culturally, as the people of God, living in the midst of a world in which there is a great deal of unrest, of dissatisfaction. I thought Jesus' words were very appropriate for our day. Uh, they speak to us in terms of the family. We're going to zero in actually on verse 24. The reality is one of the fundamental things that family struggles with is what? Money. Money. Yeah. And so this applies to the series we just completed. It, supplies, it applies to the season that we're in as we're moving forward, uh, getting ready this week to celebrate uh, the anniversary of the birth of this nation. And I want it to be on record that I think this country is the greatest country that's ever existed on the face of this earth. I think that as much as we are imperfect, we are flawed. That's a part of the realities of a fallen world. 
we are still a great nation. And we are still a nation of opportunity for those who are willing, who are willing to prepare and to work. And so I, I think it's important for us to think biblically about everything. How many times have you heard me say that if the Bible defines for you your attitude and action toward any particular issue, then that is your attitude and action. You are not entitled to another attitude or action. Well, I know but. A lot of us have problems with our butts, don't we? Yep. We really do. Yeah. If the Bible outlines for us, and here we won't get that far today, but our text says what? Love your enemies. Well, wait a minute. You don't know my enemies. You, you don't know how I've been treated, how my, how, how my ancestors were treated. My Bible says love your enemies. Love your enemies. Yeah. And so this word will always and has always spoken to the urgent need of every moment, of every age, of every, every uh, uh, civilization. It is applicable. And so let's think today about the issue that flows out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the section that speaks uh, that describes woeful situations. Let's think about the kingdom of God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the relationship of the believer and the relationship of the church to worldly wealth. Begin with me in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you, could, if, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will become, be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. 
Pray with me, if you will. Father, thank you for your word. It is a word for our day. We pray that your spirit would give me an ability to rightly divide, to communicate to your people, and that your spirit would be at work among us so we may apply these great truths to our lives. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a while since we've been in the Gospel of Luke. Let me kind of uh, ramp you up, if I can, uh, to uh, where we are as we've worked uh, uh, through the text. And uh, if you remember, Luke tells us, I want to write down a very orderly account of the life and the work and the message of Jesus Christ. I want there to be clarity. I want there to be accuracy uh, to what I give to you so that you may have an abundant understanding of what Jesus came to accomplish. And he tells us about uh, the, the announcement of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, about his birth, about the forerunner, John the Baptist, and his ministry. And he tells us about how Jesus began his ministry there adjacent to his hometown, there in uh, the region of Galilee, the small town of Nazareth. And kind of uh, the reports were a bit of a mixed bag that he was received and welcomed and then he was ridiculed and scorned uh, there in those early days. But now he has, has called to himself a, a group of men that are going to be closely associated with him. He is going to pour his life uh, into these 12 men and he is going to uh, set them about the business of establishing the church of establishing the the present manifestation of the kingdom of God we've heard a lot of talk about nations and politics and all of this kind of, of, of stuff but let me tell you there's only one kingdom that's ultimately going to be that is only ultimately going to endure and that's the kingdom of God. And our Lord Jesus, who rules and reigns that kingdom, will one day destroy all of his enemies. He will establish a kingdom that is characterized by perfect and infinite righteousness. And we would desire as much as possible through the, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to see that kingdom make inroads into the here and now. We would desire that we would would preach that we would desire that our churches be reflections of the kingdom we would desire that as we go into the kingdoms of this world that as we leave the church and go into the kingdoms of the world to carry out our various duties that we're exactly what Jesus said that we are salt and light we live in the midst of a society that is hell-bound to destroy itself from within, to decay, to rot, to, to utterly ruin itself for all manner of reasons. And yet, we need to stand fast in the church, the only thing that will endure, the only thing that will sustain, and the only ultimate hope for a, a, a decadent society is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, even saying that, it's easy to get discouraged, is it not? Well, I'm, I'm going to serve Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm going to be a faithful part of, of his church. But I simply don't see the, the principles of the kingdom working themselves out very well in the culture, in the nation at large. 
I get it. I get it. I understand that. But how we still need to double down. We need to be more focused, more intentional. That we would be a gospel-saturated, gospel-focused, kingdom-expanding people. And so, whenever we speak to an issue, as you listen to the rhetoric of the day, what have we talked about the last two Sundays? You've got to demolish their false ideologies. You've got to demolish the false ideologies of the world. You've got to be able to explain this will not work. And then you've got to be able to do what? Give a reason for the hope that's within you. Twofold. We, we have to speak to both, and we are commissioned to speak to both. Several weeks ago, uh, I, I talked about all the, the proposed solutions to uh, the issue of, of, of racial strife and economic inequality. And without a biblical foundation, without a, a, a gospel orientation, those man-made, man-centered ideas are doomed to failure. They, they will not work. And so, we come here uh, today, and uh, this is uh, Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's edited. It doesn't, it's not as long as Matthew's account. Uh, I'm sure he had his purposes for what he included and what he uh, left out. But the sermon begins with Jesus speaking and basically saying to those who would listen, you are countercultural. You're out of step. I'm, I'm going to, to turn your way of thinking upside down. That, that it is a blessed thing to be without the goods of the kingdom. It is a blessed thing to, to hunger and to not be satisfied with the things of the world. It's a blessed thing if the world hates you because of your stand for Christ. We all want to, to, be, uh, to flourish, to be affluent and all of these things. But Jesus said, for those who, who live for the kingdom, that these things can actually be blessed states. And he contrasts them with these woes. In other words, he, 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 he pronounces a, 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 a makes a statement of, of, of grief and distress about certain situations. And he begins with what? Verse 24. Woe to you who are rich. That is... I am deeply distressed about your attitude and action related to material wealth. And, and that he, this is common language of, of the prophets. Whoa! That means, that means ho! That means stop! And, and, and listen to me for just a moment. I've got a word to say to you about this particular issue I am grieved I, but I am moved by pity to warn you because there is a remedy there is a remedy there is hope it's not a hopeless situation many times as I, I talk to Ellen and, and other people that work in the medical fields 
And I would suspect one of the most heartbreaking things that happens to these doctors and nurses is when they begin to assess a patient and they go, there's nothing I can do. There, there are no more treatments. We're not going to attempt to do anything else. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. There is a way forward. There is a way to know the goodness of the grace of God. And so, in saying what he says here, and let me, let me kind of pause here. You know, my family wasn't incredibly prim and proper. Now again, we wore short shirts to the dinner table. We didn't put our elbows on the table. And, you know, we had manners. But, but we weren't just overly super prim and proper. But even I understood it's very bad form, very, very um, forward, unseemly, to ask somebody about their money or their wealth. Well, how much money do you make? Well, how much have you gotten in your retirement account, in your investments? You know, if I went around, somebody punched me in the nose before I got out of the building. You just really, you really don't do, am I right? I mean, people don't really go around bragging about their, their money and stuff. That, that, that's, that's personal. They keep it close to themselves for the most part. So I'm, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Are you rich? Woe to those who are rich. Are you rich? Now, most people, you know, you, you ask that, and they'll, you know, start jingling in their pockets. I ain't got two nickels to rub together. You ever heard that? You know, I ain't got two nickels to rub together. I'm, I'm poor as a church mouse. Or, you know, on and on, usually it's some type of that. Well, let me tell you, and this was just a simple Google search I, I told them in the first service I can remember writing term papers and you get to a place and you go wait a minute I need to know something and I'd have to walk across campus to Collier Library five miles, up, five miles uphill both ways in the snow barefooted but there were girls there so it was okay okay and and so I don't know how much studying I ever got done in Collier Library but but now I want to know something I just and there it is there it is did you know that there are at least 10 nations in the world that the average per capita income is $2,300 a year. There are actually at least two that the per capita income is $1,000 per person per year. That in the United States of America, the poverty line, okay, if you all know what I'm talking about, in other words, if you make under this amount, you're considered to live in poverty, the poverty line for a family of two is a little over $17,000. $17,000. Now, how many of us are rich? Charles Schwab did a survey. At what point in analyzing your net worth, at what point, what's the number where you think you're rich? Most people might go, million bucks. If I had a million bucks, I'd think I was rich. That's kind of the... And actually, Schwab says, 
the average of the numbers given in their survey was, I'll be rich when I have $2.3 million. That's the line. $2.3 million. And so my point is this. From a historical, from a biblical perspective, most of us are not poor. Most of us aren't poor. That, that we fall under the umbrella of Jesus' concern that we would allow riches to so distort our view of eternity that, that our possession of things in this life would come at the expense of the destruction of our soul. That's what Jesus is concerned about. That, that these ancient people would make the mistake that just because it's going well for me, that I can interpret that to mean God is pleased with me. That, that because I have ample goods, that's a testimony that God is pleased with me. Now, y'all know how hostile I am to what's called the health and wealth gospel of current in the United States of America and really throughout the world. Uh, the idea that in, in some way that you can actually create by the power of God your own wealth and name it and claim it and, and so forth and so on. And I don't know how many people really believe that bunk. But what they do like is once they gain a certain kind of affluence, since uh, material, material goods, wealth is a sign of God's favor, then, hey, I can be assured I've got God's favor because what? I've got wealth. Don't make that mistake. Don't, don't make that mistake. Don't trust in your wealth. And so we would ask the question, and I think it's a good question, and it's one of those, how many times over the years have I said to you, I've struggled with this or that issue, that it caught my attention very early on in my Christian walk. I mean, the whole business of denying yourself got my attention pretty What does that mean? The story of the rich young ruler got my attention at an early age. And on and on these things go. I, I've told you before, I, I can remember as a 15-year-old. See, that was back in the Hal Lindsey, you know, thief in the night days and all that. And every preacher had, you know, to tell you when who the Antichrist was and all that. And I would go, I'd get a concordance. I remember sitting at my house. Where's that rapture? Where's that rapture? I ain't found it yet. I ain't found it yet. Now again, that's not exactly the right way to go about studying that particular aspect of eschatology. But what I'm saying, sometimes it takes some effort to figure out the biblical perspective on anything. Is this just an outright blanket condemnation of the acquisition of wealth? Is it wrong to build a business? Is it wrong to, to seek for some type of success in this world? Is that what Jesus is after? I don't think so. I don't think so. But we do always need to heed his warning. And so I've, I've listed, I think there's six, maybe seven, things here is if, if we're to think biblically 
You need a biblical theology of work and money and wealth. If, if you're going to handle your resources and, and your life, I mean, most of us work jobs that require 40 plus hours a week, 2,000 hours a year for about 40 years. That's a lot of, that's a lot of time. That's a, that is, you, you have been allotted X number of days. And a lot of those days, a lot of hours out of those days are going to be spent in making a living. And so, is God silent about that reality? And you know the answer is no. That God speaks to that issue. And so, the first warning I would offer to you is that worldly wealth is temporary. If you look at it as permanent, then woe. Woe to you if you think that your earthly wealth is eternal. It is not. But let me say this. Here's kind of the good news. The way you handle temporal worldly wealth can be a benefit and a blessing to you all the way through eternity. Y'all are looking at me funny. Did y'all hear? Were you listening? The way you handle worldly wealth can be a blessing for you in this life and all the way into eternity. Jesus speaks of that very reality. If you're faithful in small things, you'll be faithful in, in the bigger things, the greater things, okay? And so we always need to remember that it's temporary, but that doesn't mean it's unimportant because it is important. And, and so we need to, to recognize that the entire world system is ultimately going to pass away. You know, we've, we've made these mission trips uh, to foreign countries. One of the first things you have to do when you go in foreign countries is exchange your currency. You've got to take these good old American dollars and get something else. Okay? You've got to get, get their money because they don't want my dollars. Well, there's a reality that even if we've got a truckload of cash, you can't spend it in the next economy, in the next country, so to speak, the kingdom of God that's soon to come upon the world. So remember it's temporary. Remember it's tenuous. Jesus instructs us that we are to lay up treasure in heaven, not to hoard treasure on earth because moth and rust corrupts it. How hard it is to, to hang on to worldly wealth. I've, I've told you many times when I was in business, I was always looking to buy things below market value. Uh, whether it was there, there were closeouts or overruns or slight irregulars. Or, I was always trying to buy a deal. And I, I've, I have bought like truckloads of baskets or flowers or things like that that I could sell later. And I'd store them in a warehouse and I'd go back and find that there'd been a leak in the roof. And it was completely rotten. And I'd have to take truckloads of stuff to the dump. I was planning on what? Making bank. And there's nothing wrong with buying and selling. I'm not, that's not my point. But my ultimate hope was not that this accumulation of goods was going to deliver me eternally. Okay? And so we understand that it's difficult to, to hold on to these things. One of my real problems with the handling of the COVID thing is the 3 to $6 trillion we've already thrown in it. 
All they've done is devalue the money I've saved. They've made me less able to live in the days ahead. Okay? Again, it's a reminder. Listen, politicians are going to politic. And when politicians politic, here's what they're going to do. They're going to spend your money. That's, that's a fact. Politicians will spend your money. And so, in spending your money, it's just a reality. The way they spend it is going to cost you in the future. So, if your ultimate trust is in the fact you've got a, a big six or seven figure balance in your retirement funds, you better find something better to trust in. Because it's not enough. So, they're temporary, tenuous, deceitful. That in the parable of the soils, Jesus himself talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. Paul can describe money as the root of all evil, or really the love of money. So what is Jesus saying? Woe to you rich people when you fall head over heels in love with your money. Be careful. It, it is a powerful attractive. Money is a powerful attractive. It is seductive. Be careful about it. it there, there, there's a deceitfulness that you could misunderstand the, even the meaning of money, as I've already said. It's not an absolute sign that God is well pleased with you. In fact, I would say many times, I think God prospers people straight into the pit of hell. I really do. I believe he allows them to live in luxury and affluence and they never have the pause button in their life to make them consider how difficult this world is, how fallen it is, and how life is brief. And there is a looming eternity out there that I must be prepared for. Oh no, they just party their way all the way up to the cemetery. Never have a moment to think about the realities of eternity. And so... Money is deceitful and, it, and it's dangerous that we would misunderstand it, that, that we could place our hope in it. And, and with money comes responsibility. Jesus says it this way, to whom much is given, much is required. Now, I believe that's everything. Do you have a talent or a skill that you should be utilizing for the good of the kingdom? One of our, our young men been painting our outside walls he has a talent or skill that he's using to advance the kingdom i'm not saying are, are you a preacher i'm not saying this or that i'm saying do you have something that god has entrusted to you that you can invest into the kingdom so so even more so if god has entrusted you with worldly wealth then use it to honor god okay and and here, this, the passage I cite from James, he warns those who have these possessions, particularly those who own businesses, to treat those employees justly. To pay them as you promised. Pay them according to what you have earned. And so it, it has responsibilities. And I, I think even broader, one of the things that you hear about is... is uh, the concept of, of economic justice, or, or, or I don't know what all the terms should, would be. But let me, let me tell you something. I believe in a holistic concept of human flourishing. 
Now, first and foremost, you must know Jesus. If you're going to flourish in this world, you must know Jesus. But I want you to do well in this world. I've told you before, when I go by and I see a, a sign in front of somebody's store and it says going out of business, my heart sinks. It really does. I mean, I have an emotional reaction to that because I know what a person puts into a small business. Okay? And, and so we want everybody to participate in a rising economy. I think I could get in my car and I could drive through Birmingham, Jefferson County, and, and, and I hope if, if this is judgmental or something, then, then please excuse me and correct me. But when I go by and I see building after building boarded up, I see house after house in disrepair, then what I, I know that there's a problem. And it, it's, it's multi, multi-layered. And, and when, I, when I hear of children not doing well on, on whatever standardized tests they're given, that type thing. Listen, I want them to do well. I want you to do well. I want you to flourish. I want, I want you to succeed. And don't take this as crashly as it sounds. Because it's good for me. Your contribution to our culture, our society, to our economy is good for me. And I want it to be good for you. And so I want you to prepare. I want people to prepare. Now, I would say to you young people, begin thinking now about how you're going to prepare for being on your own. If, if we, we had a, a tragedy in our family this, this past week, and um, um, a death, and the young man that was left behind, and, and he's right around 40 years old, Lifetime of drugs, alcohol, abuse. To my knowledge, he's never had a steady job. He has no skills. Has no interest in cultivating skills. I don't think he could live on his own. And I want to grab him and shake him. And, 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 and here's what he would say. Well, you know what my daddy did to me. That's probably his first, first line of what he would go down. And I want to say, listen, don't give me ancient history. You've got maybe 20, 30, 40. If you haven't ruined your life completely, maybe you'll live on into a few more decades. Well, can you read and write? Well, if you can't, go somewhere and learn to read and write. Go somewhere and pick up a skill so that you can earn your way and be proud of what you're doing and participate. I mean, now... You're never going to be a brain surgeon. At this point, you've wrecked your brain with drugs and alcohol. You're not going to be a brain surgeon. You probably weren't anyway. But go get with the program. Go learn how to flourish. And I still believe in this country, those who will work, those that will apply themselves, those that will bring diligence and excellence to the workplace, you will ultimately succeed. Life is never fair. Now, I'm going to tell you what would have been fair. If I'd have been six feet four and weighed 230 pounds and ran a 4'3'40 
And I could have shown up at Auburn University, gone out there and told Doug Barfield in 1976, Hey, Dougie! Hey, Coach Dougie! Your next quarterback is here. But you know what? Had I walked on that field at 5'7", 150 pounds, and a right arm like a wet noodle, I couldn't even get a mouthpiece. And that ain't fair. There was some guy, big old strong, fast guy that could throw a football that had my position. He was, he was, he was taking my snaps. God made me 5'7 with very little athletic ability. I, I've, I've got friends. They've got IQs 25 and 30 points higher than mine. Well, that ain't right. That ain't right. And on and on it goes. I mean, you've got to face reality. I was never, a good friend of mine succeeded in banking. He's near the end of his career. He's done phenomenally well. And I heard him say one time, and he, he played quarterback in the biggest high school football game it's ever been in, in the city of Birmingham. About 40-something, 50 years ago. It's still the biggest high school football game it's ever been in the city of Birmingham. He played quarterback in that game. But you know what? He realized this. I'm not going to be playing for the bear. I better learn how to do something. Jeff Rutledge, his, his, his uh, competitor on, on the other team, Jeff Rutledge got to play for the bear. But he didn't. He just wasn't skilled. That's just the way it is. But you know what, my friend? Great family, great career, great life. Bad things are going to come your way. And I want to encourage. I want to be a part. How do I help people succeed? Do I need to help you with your education? I want to help you. I want you to learn how to do. I want you to learn the skills you need to have to succeed. Well, I got bogged down there. I'm sorry. And final warning, be aware of economic partiality. James speaks of welcoming the rich man and kind of ignoring the poor man. And I think, I think there's more classism and economic prejudice than racial prejudice in our country right now. That's my personal opinion, okay? I may be wrong, I'm just, but I'm just saying that if you've got money, you'll fit in, typically, if that's what you're wanting to do. But those that don't, so we need to be aware of those things. So those are the warnings. Let me... Let me get into this work and, and wealth work is a part of God, good, God's good plan God designed you to work before the fall God put the man in the garden to work it and keep it that was the plan that, that was the plan that, that he would flourish that he'd be productive God wants you to be productive I, say, I can't promise that everyone will be a brain surgeon I don't, I don't know. You know maybe some of, some, of, some of us will. But, we have, but at, 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 at some level, there are, I don't know if this is the right term, there are inequalities. Like I say, I wasn't big enough to be a great football player. Ain't fair. I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor. It ain't fair. You go on and on down the list. Okay. But you take what God has given you, you accept Him as, you accept it 
as this is the providence that God has placed me within and under. Now what would God do to have me glorify Him in this time? How can I work to, to contribute to the success of a culture? And then work is difficult. I, if you were my next door neighbor, our yards butted up against each other. And we say, hey, let's grow tomatoes this year. And I say, well, I'm going to put me in a patch and you put you in a patch. So we get the same amount of rain. And I, I'm out there working them constantly. You know, the reality is you, you may not work them that hard. But you may get more tomatoes than I get off your vines. That's just the reality. Now, I may get more than you get. Maybe my work will pay. But some, work is frustrating sometimes. Sometimes you work and you work and you work and you work and it doesn't work out. And sometimes you're frustrated. And that's part of life in a fallen world. How, how many people, I, I think one, one name stands out, to Colonel Sanders, the, the Kentucky chicken guy. I think he had bankrupted two or three times before he finally stumbled on how many herbs and spices? I forget. How many herbs? Eleven herbs and spices, I think. And he got rich at about 60 or 70 years old. He just didn't quit. And so, again, work is difficult. Making your way in the world is difficult. But this is, this is the greatest place in, in the world and the greatest place in history for you to work and have the hope that your work will be rewarded. It still is. It still is. Work is necessary if we're to flourish. If you don't work, you'll starve to death. And evidently, that's what Paul thought was appropriate. If a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. And, and here's the thing, kind of the flip side. How many... I see these stories every, every once in a while. Now, one of the things I really am not a fan of and I, I, I hoop and holler about is state-sponsored gambling. I think it's terrible. I hate it. I hate it. I hate, I hate standing in line in convenience stores while people scratch their little things they scratch. I just want to get out of my way so I can pay for my Diet Coke. But how many people do you find out they've won millions of dollars and five years later their lives are still in the tank? You can't give people, you can't give people enough money that they will be rich. You gotta earn it. You gotta earn it. It just it, it, it doesn't it, it never has worked. It never will work. And I I have a sneaking suspicion if we could ever get the perspective. And this goes back to the 1960s and Lyndon Johnson's The Great Society. That the money that we've poured in to those that are economically disadvantaged, and there are people that are economically disadvantaged, but the money we've poured in there has been a great waste. And we have allowed people to be enslaved by our government in systematic poverty because of that spending. Because what we need to do is teach people to work. Teach people to, to dig in. And when you meet an obstacle, and there will be obstacles. Listen, I came to Birmingham, Alabama in 1983. I thought I was the 
best thing since sliced bread. I thought all I got to do is show up and somebody's going to hire me and pay me $50,000 a year to just kind of be there. I never got the first interview. I never got the first interview. I went to Alabama Power wouldn't even talk to me. Go figure. Yeah. AT&T wouldn't talk to me. They hired you, Brad. They could have had me. I never got the first. Nobody even sent me a letter. We got your resume. We're so impressed, but it's, it's in our file. You know, I didn't get anything. So I just went home and got mad. I got mad. They don't like people from Somerville, Georgia. That's the problem. They just don't like Somervillians. No, I accepted it as it is, and I went on and did what I had to do. I have wife and kids on the way to support. So you figure it out. Okay. So work is necessary to flourish. You can't be idle. If you won't eat, if you won't work, you don't eat. God has given us work to provide for our families and folks, particularly for men. God's charge to you is to provide for your family. God's charge to you is to provide for your family. And we have had several generations of men that have abandoned their families and left them to the government entities, and we have seen it destroy the fabric of entire subcultures. And so, provide for your families. And again, wealth has multiple uses. I believe, and I, I don't think I've really done a very good job today of getting at all the issues, but I believe it honors God to create jobs and wealth and to allow other people to participate in it. That is, you hire people and you pay them according to what they are worth and you allow the economy to flourish, you allow the culture to flourish, and I believe that's a good thing in God's eyes. So when Jesus says woe to you who are rich, he is simply not saying go throw everything you've got in the river. He's saying be careful about your attitude towards wealth. Don't let it deceive you. Don't place your ultimate hope in it. Remember that it's temporary. That ultimately you live under my lordship, my authority. You're to take my perspective on your wealth. By the way, it's not even your wealth, it's my wealth. You've just got it for a little while. So how are you going to honor me? How am I going to be glorified with your wealth? Well, I've got a whole lot of questions, a whole lot of issues related to this, this particular issue. I, we're, we're out of time. But let me just ask you some questions. In whom or what do you trust? Is your well-being tied up in your retirement plan in the balance in your 401k like I say those things are going to go up and down and up and down and up and down and again our hope is in Jesus not in our money in whom or what do you find satisfaction listen be successful flourish 
do well in life. But understand this, if you don't do it with a view toward honoring God, it's all vanity and it ultimately will not satisfy. But let me tell you something, you can do anything and everything that God calls and gifts and equips you to do. You can do it all for the glory of God. You can do it all so that you may flourish in this world and God will be pleased and God will be glorified in that. And that's a cool thing. That is a good thing. And if you, you know, become Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or whatever, and you're a godless pagan, it's all vanity. It will not matter. It will not matter in the end. To whom is your ultimate allegiance? Woe if it's to your work, to your wealth, to your money. You always have to ask the question, is there ever enough? Remember I said, what, what does it take to be wealthy? What's the number? Yeah. Yeah, what's the number? And are you prepared to give an account for your stewardship of your wealth and of your life? Are you prepared to stand before God and say, listen, you gave me 13,276,127,223 breaths. And I valued every one and I used every one for, my, for your glory. I have no idea if that's even close. To, but you see what I'm saying? If you're here... You're a steward of being here. And we'll give an account. And that's inclusive of our wealth. Does God want you to be rich or poor? I don't know. There are those, there are things that we learn in the, in the adversities of poverty that are good. And there are things that we can do with the prosperity of wealth that are good as well. They're good as well. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is you honor God wherever He has placed you. Woe to us if we allow our riches to stand in our way of understanding the work and the will of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your grace for the reality of your power, for your testimony to us of your goodness. And Lord, I pray that you would work in us powerfully so that we would live for your glory, for your pleasure. Lord, you've given us time on earth and you've given us the resources of this earth that you would be honored by our utilization. I pray that we will. I pray that you would be pleased with us and in us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.